We at the Other Side of Hell podcast are not therapists, doctors, or counselors. We're just two guys who have been through hell and come out the other side. Please be aware, we may talk about drinking and drugging in detail. Anyone struggling with addiction may find this triggering. Our goal is to share our stories, explore our struggles, and connect with others through our experience. Remember, we are not alone. There is hope, and together we can get better. What's up, world? I'm Willie. And I'm Cameron. And this episode, we have a very special guest coming in from California. What, what? Fausto. Fausto. What's up, guys? What's up, man? (laughs) It is so cool to have you here. No, yeah, it's it's amazing to be here because I've wanted to come out here for about a year now. Yeah. And and now it's here. Yeah. Dude, we, we, we like having you here so much that we... Uh, even though we're currently in a hiatus as we build our new studio, yep. we pulled it together and made it happen just so that, uh, we could have you here on the show. So welcome. wouldn't want to miss this for the world. Yeah. It's great to have you, man. Well, I yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. You got a lot going on. We'll get into that towards <laughs> the end of the show. So you guys will want to stick around and listen to everything Fausto's got going on. We also have a really good war story has been awesome to get these stories and, and, uh, Trevor's no different. It's such a good story. We were able to relate with that, and we pulled a pretty decent topic from that. What do you think? I think it's a great topic, like especially when we were talking before the show just about some of the things that we're currently dealing with in our own lives. It's always kind of amazing to me how Fausto with five years and Cameron with seven and Willie with 11 can still relate to somebody that has... You know, 41 days yeah. like Trevor. Yeah. Um, so the topic we, we got from it was the importance of honesty. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, oh. so how honest are we going to get? Yeah. Question. I think it depends on the question. <laughs> right? like, what questions are we going to deal with here? So Yikes. yeah, the, the importance of honesty, you know, it took me, I don't think I don't think we know how to be honest in early sobriety. I think like like not really, not not the, the level that we get after some some work. I think honesty is something that's learned, especially in the in the rooms of recovery where we watch other people getting honest. That's where I learned how to be honest. So it's like I remember in early sobriety for me, like when I was twenty four and in treatment, that was the first place that I heard people talking about the shit I kept secret, and it wasn't. It wasn't that I got honest right away, but I heard other people getting honest. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think I learned something from that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Fausto. Like I know that there's been just in, just in, um, you know, the relationship that we've been able to, um, have with you. I know that there's been instances where I've heard, or I've heard you share stuff very openly that, you know, like I feel like, Oh man, like, I don't know if I could just, talk about that in that way so like honesty to you was that was that something that was you know like learned or was that something that you you were pretty good about up up front like how how was that process for you yeah i mean i'm i'm i've been dishonest since a kid i mean i would literally tell people my parents are dead to make them believe it i faked my own death when i was in ninth grade (laughs) so cool (laughs) you know like i lied about everything so when I got sober, it was just like I had like that whole mental shift. Like the day before I got sober was like life isn't happening to you. It's happening for you. And so I was like, oh, shit, all this shit I've been through 
happened for a reason because I'm supposed to share it to help out other people. So it was just literally that one perception change. The next day I went to AA and I had no idea how it worked out. And I was just like, oh, I've been raped, molested, you know, um, uh, just out there in the open. And, you know, I've been cheated on. I've lied. I've done this. I've experimented. Um, you know, I was a shitty person doing X, Y, and Z. Like, it just all came out. Yeah. You know, um, codependent. You know, if you cheat on me, I'm coming right back. Yeah. You know, just complete honesty. Um, and so it was kind of just that. But the part that I had a hard time being honest is with the little things. Mm. Like you hurt my feelings. Something simple like sure. that is hard for okay. me because I fear rejection. So it's easy for me to share the war story, the trauma, um, because yeah, I'm sharing this to help people. And you know what you don't share, you wear. But let's just say if I was to tell you like what you said affected me, to me that's hard. Mm-hmm. That's been the struggle. It's taken me five years just to be comfortable being honest with it. I had to be able to get to a place where I'm not afraid for you to leave me to be able to get that honest. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. I, I, I really appreciate you bringing up the fact that it's the little things because I feel like, um, for myself, like at this stage of the game, for some reason, it seems more difficult now than it used to be, um, to be honest. And, and I feel like maybe that's because because I'm seven years sober and I feel like I should just be so much more spiritual you, than I am. You should have you know? arrived. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I, I should have so much, like I should be on the spiritual mountaintop. So like the fact that I'm still struggling, like it's hard for me to talk about. It's like, I don't, I don't know how to talk about it in a way that still conveys hope for a newcomer. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like, I, how can I, how can I uh, let people know that might be new to recovery that uh, it's okay to to struggle and still be in sobriety, you know, like it's it's a weird thing for me. Like it's it's something that I I, I feel like I still struggle with today, even though um, I know the benefits of being honest. Like I know how crucial it is, and I know how important it is, and I know that when I'm dishonest, it separates me from you know the spiritual side of of my life. Yeah. Well, I have to ask myself, like, what am I getting out of it, right? Because if I'm not, like, if I'm working on a certain area of my life and I'm not growing in that area and I'm I'm continually being, like, like for me in my, in my marriage, right? Like, there's certain things that I want happening in my marriage, either sexually or financially or, um, you know, with, with our personal time, either together or apart, you know, something that I want and I'm not able to, to take that to my wife. One of the things that I find for me is that that I really I really get off on like this mental fucking disaster place of like making something bigger than what it really is. Mm. And it's something that I've always had with me. Like there's this strange addiction to secrets that I have that make it really appealing for me to keep them. And I don't know what that's about. Maybe you can relate with it or not, but eventually what I end up finding out is that, um, I end up not getting what I want out of it because it starts taking me to a place where I'm separate from everybody else right. again. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and it's easy for me to con- try to convince myself that that's where I want to be with the hustle and bustle of the, my life and the business and, and everything that's going on. I think God, just some time alone would be nice. And it's a lie, right? That's not what, uh, I created this life of recovery about that I, that I have today. 
what I wanted with my sobriety was to have relationships with people. And prior to sobriety, and even still, um, I guess, if I'm honest, like, still, I don't exactly know how to do that correctly. Sure. So I start wanting these things, and if I'm not being honest about it, it's like, what am I getting out of not being honest? What, what, how is this paying me off? Because there's always some type of payoff. And that's what I learned early on as a kid was that I could be dishonest and there was a payoff for it, right? So if I wanted something and I asked for it and I got told no, then I could steal it and I could get it. And then if I got caught for stealing it and I lied about it and they believed me, then I got what I wanted plus I didn't get in trouble. So, and, and I did that so much that there became this payoff mm -hmm. that, I, that and, and then it became a habit and that habit was fucking hard to break. Right. Uh, but ultimately when it comes to anything like, in, like I was talking about with my wife, when I do get honest about how I'm feeling about what I'm thinking about, what I feel like I'm missing, uh, it usually turns out that I'm fucking crazy and that, <laughs> Like everything yep. that I yeah. think I don't have, I do have. Yeah. Right. And I'm just not seeing it. Yeah. Well, and I think for me, like one of the things that I, it's important for me to remember, like when I am honest is more often than not, like I can share something that I've been sitting on for, you know, however long. And it's usually about something I'm feeling right. Mm -hmm. Like something deep inside. And, and then I share it. And usually it's like, the person that I'm sharing it to is like, yeah, uh, okay. <laughs> like, that's no big deal. Like what, you know, like, why were you sitting on that? Like what? And it's like, I don't know. Like, I'm just, I, I, I just, it's, it's uncomfortable. Right. Like, like being honest is, it, it, it's so uncomfortable sometimes that I think it's easier. Or at least we think it's easier to just sit on it and avoid it. Like that's like, Willie's talking about the payoff of, of, uh, of being dishonest and it's like man for me it was like co complete avoidance right like that's that's what i was doing when i was lying it's like that's what i was doing when i well, was you don't being have to dishonest. feel honest yeah exactly it's well, like i'm just avoiding feeling feelings i mean yes and no right like like you're avoiding the feeling with another person but you're endur in, in, enduring the feeling alone yeah and it'll just get bigger and bigger and you're gonna have to face it like for me with <clears throat> with honesty i've noticed it's easy for me to be honest when, like you said, there's a payoff, right? I know for me, I can meet a stranger and be like, hey man, what's up, man? I got a bunch of anxiety. I don't know you. you do you want to hang out? <laughs> and then they laugh because they have it. It's like, yeah, honesty brings us closer together. Mm. Um, but when it comes to uh, my relationship, we had this conversation because like, I have a hard time being honest with my feelings. Simple things, right? I'm afraid to express something because you might look at me less than. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Because in my head, right, I'm this motivational speaker, group therapist, life coach, so positive, optimistic, everyone. And um, and I remember I would kind of like, not on purpose, not want to be honest, right? But again, it's like a fear. Like, no, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. No, I'm good. Like, it's all good. And then one time she brought it to my attention. She's like, when you always act like you're okay, she's like, I feel crazy. Then I'm not okay all right. the time like you. Like you're like a girl, you're perfect. And I didn't realize me not sharing how I feel when I'm scared to do is actually separating us. And by me actually sharing those scary feelings, yeah. 
is actually bringing us closer together because one, she goes, cool, I don't feel crazy. I know that you actually do feel anger or sadness and you're not always, hey, happy. Mm -hmm. And two, she's like, now I feel I can add value to your life by being there for you. Right. You know, she's like, if you're always good, she's like, well, what am I doing then? Like here (laughs) at times. Yeah. So that's what I learned from that too. And it was like, it was mind blowing for me. I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I I mean, and then that's the thing too, is like oftentimes when we're lying, it's like to keep up this facade, right? Like, it's like, I no, I want you to think that I'm perfect. Like, Mm -hmm. because I want to be perfect. Like, and I don't, I don't like it when I don't feel perfect and it's uncomfortable for me to express that in a way that seems like, you know, like I'm putting myself in a position for you to turn your back on me and leave because Mm -hmm. that's what it is. It's like this huge fear that I have that, that I'm not good enough that, you know, you're going to see the real me and, and reject me. And I think that it's important to remember. And I, I appreciate that, that you shared that story because, um, it's important for me to remember that everybody feels this way. And that's the thing too, as I think a lot of times, you know, in our circle, we can get lost in like, this is what I feel as an addict. And it's like, no, this is what everybody People feels feel. like, right? Yeah. Like this is just a human emotion that I think is natural and it might be exaggerated in people like us, but, Mm -hmm. um, but I think ultimately like nobody, nobody wants to feel rejected. Nobody wants to feel unloved. And I think, uh, you know, like being honest is, is a huge part of, uh, of what brings us together. So I appreciate that story. Fausto. Yeah. And, and being dishonest, I mean, that can take you to a place. There's people that have spent their entire lives, their entire lives clutched to something that, that didn't suit them. Right. And I think about, I think about people that I hear stories about that are on their deathbeds and they think, you know, or they say like, I fucking did it all wrong. Mm. And, or like they stayed in a marriage that she should have got out of or in a job that they fucking hated or stayed in a religion that wasn't theirs or, you know, just whatever. And, and it makes me think, you know, the, how, how long lasting and how deep these lies and these distrusts of ourselves can go. You know, for me, when I think about something that, that you were talking about, as far as like the relationship, being honest in a relationship, I learned, um, early on really young that, uh, people can tell me stuff that wasn't true. And that I thought it was my fault. So, so just like you were saying, like when I was a little kid and there was something going on with my family, like if there was something wrong with my dad or, or they were having financial issues or, uh, you know, whatever. And I would ask like, is everything okay? I was always told that, no, everything's fine. And I think, I think that brings up a great point as far as what you were saying is eventually I started thinking there was something wrong with me. Mm. Like I could feel that there's something going on. But no, everything's fine, honey. And I get where that was coming from. Like my parents didn't want to put the problems of an adult on a child. And, and I understand their intention behind that. But I mean, what, what, what could have been if they were honest with me mm. instead of that? Like, like who knows, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, well, yeah, I think from a professional standpoint too, like in clinical, they even say like, you should let your kids know what's going on. I think so. You know, just like, just to communicate with it. Cause like you said, you might think like, well, I must be crazy or something. I feel like something's wrong or something's happening, but you're telling me, no, we're, everything's good. Right. That it's, it's, it's good to communicate in a very effective way, not in an unhealthy way, sure. but still letting them know, like treating them like an adult. 
so they can learn from that. Yeah. What's weird too is like, I, I feel like I've been in situations where I've heard people do that with their children and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, it feels wrong. Like, no, you can't, you can't just tell this child of all the drama that you're dealing with and what you're going through. And it's like, you know, that's like sort of the, the, uh, the world that we've been brought up in is like, you don't, you don't share that. You like, you shelter this child, you shelter it so that it doesn't have to deal with this stuff. And it's like, really like what we're doing or what we have been doing, or hopefully not what we're not doing still is we've been, you know, like just keeping it so reserved that we're not being honest with, you know, the real things that we as individuals and humans have to deal with. And so I think that by talking about it in this way and being honest with your kids and, um, yeah, it makes so much more sense just to, to let them know that, man, like these are your feelings and it's okay. Uh-huh. And um, you're right. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. You, me and your mom are having problems. Right. You don't have any money. Fucking, <laughs> you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. And I think just sharing it in kind of like a, you know, maybe like saying, yeah, you know, we're, we're going through a hard time. This is normal. That's a part of life. Right. You know, just kind of letting them know it's something simple like that. Like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I think about my wife and like, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate in, in, in the area where I never had to go through a divorce, right? Like my parents didn't get divorced. They're still married. Um, they had, they obviously had their problems, but um, like, like my wife didn't know that, you could have a cordial relationship with your husband <laughs> right? Like, because of the way that she was brought up and the real, and, and the, the fucking dynamics of the relationships that she saw of the people around her were just so unhealthy. And so when we start working on this stuff and I'm asking her to be honest and she's asking me to be honest, uh, it's all new territory for her and it's, it's kind of fun, you know, but mm-hmm. I'm very grateful to get it beyond the side of it. You know, one of the things that helped me in my honesty was, uh, you know, just kind of experimenting with it. So in early sobriety, I would love to say that I like I came into sobriety and just got fucking gung ho honest and was just like, oh, here, here I am, Mr. Honesty, all of a sudden. <laughs> but that's not the case. You know, I had to fill out the water. And and as I did that, um, the more well received it was with people, you know, mm-hmm. starting with my sponsor or other people in meetings, you know, I would, I would try these little experiments with honesty and then I wouldn't get rejected. It made it a lot easier to be more honest with some of the more heavy stuff, you know? Right. Yeah. It's like, once you see like what, what actually happens once you're honest, like for me anyways, like when I, when I was in a treatment center and I'm sharing this, this stuff with, other people who have been through what I've been through and are experiencing the same thing and are in there hopefully to change their lives like I was. Um, and, and then sharing that stuff that was so scary and so uncomfortable and then having it be received in a way that was like so positive and uplifting was like, Oh, I didn't know the truth could feel that way. I didn't, I didn't know that, that, that people would actually like be on your side and like be understanding like, because I was just so certain you know, like we talked about that, that the fear would, or that the truth would lead to rejection, Yeah. you know? And I think that's just a, a defense mechanism mm-hmm. that just keeps me sick. Do you ever find yourself like, uh, teaching people or talking to people about, Hey, honesty is like the key. People can't help you unless you're not honest. 
and then you find yourself having a hard time being honest though. You're like, <laughs> Oh sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, man. Like it, I, I, today, like, I feel like it takes me a little bit of time sometimes to, to like come out and be honest. Like there's certain situations I'll find myself in where like my go-to reaction is to sort of lie. And then I'll be like, wait, uh, I'm lying. That's not true. <laughs> this is actually what happened. This is actually how I feel. I'm sorry. That I, I, I think we can, I think we can laugh cause we can identify. Right. <laughs> right. And, and that just goes, that's a, that's a great, uh, tale of, of where you're at in your program. Right. Today, right. Because that wasn't something like Fausto was talking about earlier. Like that, that would kickstart a train reaction of more lies in the past. Like mm-hmm. instead of stopping it and going, Oh fuck, hold on. Right. We'd go, no, that is true. You have to believe me. Mm-hmm. And then fucking just just keep rolling that out and rolling that out and it it's just for what right like there were so many times in my life that i would lie and fucking the truth would have served to be better oh yeah yep well it's just, it's the just, insanity it's, of yeah it. it's insane and it's and it's your default right like for me it was it it was just that was just how it was you know and like it it was a learned thing. I had to learn how to be honest. I had to learn how to be vulnerable. And I had to, you know, it's just like anything else. Like once I start doing it and I see the results that it gets me, it makes it easier and easier to do it. Right. Um, I think now like being at this stage of the game, like the, the, I think what happens to me now and being honest is like, like I said, like I start doubting myself, um, in a way where it's like, I, I, I'm like stunting my own spiritual growth. I don't know if this is making any sense. Like I'm trying to like, you know, think it out in like real time. But like, I think that it's, I, I can see clearly that being honest, like is, is the only way for me to grow spiritually, but it's like, the whole fake it till you make it thing. Right. Like I kind of hate that saying sometimes because there's a part of me, it's like, okay, so am I lying to myself? Like when I say fake it till you make it like, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Am I doing great? No, I'm not doing great, but I'm going to say that. And then hopefully I like, I'll be uplifted to great status. Like, you know what I mean? So I think right now it's, it's really just this thing that I'm, I'm dealing with of, of again, trying to keep up the facade, right? Like the facade that I am this, this guy on a podcast who has all this spiritual knowledge and wisdom. And it's like, well, that's not, that's not the truth. You know, like the truth is like, if I'm being honest, like there's still a struggle, like life is great. Don't get me wrong. Um, I have all these blessings and I'm able to see that, but it doesn't mean that I always feel good, you know? And I think that that's the truth. And sometimes that's a hard pill for me to swallow because there's a big part of me that thinks that I should just always feel good. Well, here, here's the thing about that. Like what you're saying is like, all that's true. But that's a feeling, right? Because um, like Fausto, it would take a lot for me to not see him as the inspiration that he is. Mm-hmm. Okay. So just because we're not feeling a certain way doesn't mean that, that what you're saying isn't true. Like you are a guy on a podcast. You are a father. You are this spiritual giant and, and getting bigger. <laughs> you, you know, like, like you're, you're this, this voice. And all those things are true, but also you don't feel that way. Right. And that also is true. 
And so it's probably a good thing. <laughs> it could be yeah. our right. egos our egos ego, get fucked ego off family. right yeah. i feel like it's like a kind of like i like how you put it right it's like because we don't feel good one day we totally just like throw away all the good stuff that we are like oh oh my god i feel yeah. like crap today like i'm not the motivational guy this this and that because in this one moment yeah. i feel like shit so i can't yeah. tell no one because mm-hmm. if i tell william cameron guys I don't feel positive today. They're going to be like, I knew it. You yeah. know, hope What's dealer, you, you sad dealer. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> I know that's how it is for me too. Um, that's why that like, luckily for me with the honesty thing, that's always helped me is I have specific people in my life that I can call and just fucking say it how it is. Yeah. You know, because I'm like, I'm losing my fucking mind and it's like, why am I feeling like this? What's going on? This, this and that. And then that conversation helps me get back up because they're like, oh, that's normal. Like you said, mm-hmm. right? Normalizing mm-hmm. it. Oh, that's normal. I felt like that last week. Yeah. And I'm like, really? They're like, yeah, it's called life. Normal. <laughs> you can't yeah. always feel good. But I'm like, but you look, you look like you're always feeling good. They're like, yeah, but I'm not. Mm-hmm. Sure. And stuff like that. So I know like for me having specific people in my life for specific parts, like spiritually, financially, uh, relationship, relationship people, whatever it is, <clears throat> going to them to get brutally honest helps out and even being brutally honest i feel like uh like you said right actually feels good right like with her with my girlfriend earlier today i get broke down brutally honest in the car because with everything going on and i was just saying it how it is i even had to tell her like look i'm gonna say some stuff i'm gonna say some words it's not at you i'm just gonna say some stuff and as soon as i say it she received it really good and i just felt better yeah. Right. But inside the whole time, because it's sometimes it's hard for me to be honest. I don't know if you're like that, but it's not that I'm not trying to be honest. Sometimes I don't know what I'm feeling. Sure. Sure. You sure. Know? I'm like, I like thinking on, it, I'm like, oh, I don't know what's going on. Okay. Maybe no, maybe nah, you're good. And then finally just comes out mm-hmm. and it's like, I'm fucking scared. This mm-hmm. is going on. Why this is happening. This is bullshit. I don't want to deal with it. I'm tired of being this, this and that. And then when you do this, I feel this way. And then I feel like this is and that I have no one to go to. Wow. I wish my dad was here. He's not even checking up on me. This is and that it all just comes out. And then it's just like, Oh, yeah. right. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And, and maybe all that stuff is true. Right. But also, it's not bouncing around up in here anymore. Right. Exactly. From, from truth to lie, truth to lie, yeah. because I think it's important as alcoholics, you know, we, I, you know, I, I kind of stand on this idea that I have a disease of the mind. Like, and, and if I have a disease of the mind, that means that I have a problem with the way that I think. And a lot of times the way that I think will take the truth and turn it to untruth. You know, the, 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 the big book, AA even talks about, you know, we weren't able to, to tell the difference between truth and lie. And so coming in here, let me, <clears throat> let me ask you guys something like, have you, you got five years, yeah. you got seven years. Have you ever stole anything in sobriety? Um, so self checkout. <laughs> I don't, I, I mean, I don't want you to, I don't want, you're going to get arrested. Right? <laughs> you don't have to, because I have, okay? <laughs> I have, I have, I have, literally stolen things knowing that I've stolen them and and tried to justify that right I've tried to to make that okay and it didn't cause a relapse I didn't use Mm -hmm, I wasn't mm -hmm. I I don't have to give up my chip there's no there's no reason for me to give up my sobriety for stealing you know and um, the way that it felt I had to fucking get rid of it 
Okay. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big, I think that's huge to point out is, is that as we grow through this stuff, things that, uh, I used to be able to do even sober. Like I used to be able to steal sober oh, yeah, when, I was no a, when I was younger. I didn't have to be using to steal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I would, I would take, but once I got sober and I started working a program of honesty and I started identifying what honesty meant, I wasn't able to steal stuff anymore. Oh yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. It hits different. So, and it's the same way with a blatant lie, right? If, if I have a blatant lie, somebody asks me a question or I make something up or something like that. I have a spiritual consequence for that today. You know, those are, those are gifts of sobriety as our spirits and our conscience starts waking up, you know, it's no longer clouded with drugs. We're able to start discerning what's right and wrong for us, for me as a person. Then I start getting in contact with the way that it feels when I'm stepping off path. That doesn't mean I'm not going to make mistakes. Mistakes are totally fine. You know, we're going to go backwards. We're going to go forwards, but there's this uh, overwhelming fucking sense of urgency when it comes to a blatant break in my honesty sure and and do you guys agree with that like is that something that you can identify with for sure yeah i was gonna say like um all that stuff feels completely different than it used to feel you know like now if if i'm if i'm dishonest or i say something hurtful or i do something that used to just be completely fine it's like now you know, they say in AA, like, <clears throat> um, a head full of AA and a belly full of booze. Yeah, you're you know? fucked. Yeah, yeah, well, fuck <laughs> you up. And it's like, I feel like the same thing, you know, is true for a head full of spirituality and, and you know, and a, a mind, body full of lies. Or, mind full of fuck. Exactly, man. It's like, <laughs> if I, like, I, like, I know the kind of person that I'm trying to be. And I know, um, you know, what it is that sickens my soul. And what it is that I thrive from. And I know like the minute that I'm fucking mean to somebody, like on the way here, you guys, on the way here. Today. Right? Today. Like I'm like racing somebody on the freeway. <laughs> like to get on the on ramp, you know? And and what's what's funny is uh okay, so I'm racing them and I like eventually I pull back and I let them win. And then I see a bumper sticker on their ha- on their on their car just so happens like I have like the same bumper sticker right and it's like fuck I probably have so much in common with this person yet I hate them right now you know (laughs) and it's like you know what like I'm a pullback like I don't know what that was about it's okay but that's not you know like I'm because there was a part of me that wanted to like flash my brides and get on their ass you know what I mean and just really like take this to a whole new level and it's like I don't got to be that today. Like that doesn't make me feel good. Like I already felt, you know, bad enough just racing this individual for, for however long, you know? And it's like, okay, I'm just going to pull back. And like, and that's what I mean is like, this stuff feels different now. Like I, I I don't like the, I don't, I don't enjoy the way that being this kind of an individual makes me feel, um, whether it's dishonest or whether it's unkind or, um, whatever the case is like, I, I like it so much better when um, I'm nice and I'm honest and I have nothing to hide and and you know like it, it's more in line with where I want to be spiritually. And when I get out of line, like 
when it, when things get misaligned, it's fucking chaos all up in here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah. I wish I could be perfect all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's what but, I want. I yeah. just want perfection. Yeah. For me, I feel like, uh, <clears throat> I never had a problem with stealing. I think I've, like the one big thing I know I stole in the past that sticks out, remember it was like, you know, doing like beer runs, right? And the only reason why, because I was a bartender, so I don't have to worry about buying alcohol. Nice. Right? Okay. So that kind of saved me. You know what I mean? I'm like, I hear some drinks, give me some free drugs. I never had to steal. Uh, I would say for me, the biggest thing, a couple things, exaggerating was one hard thing for me. Okay. Mm. Like, I don't know if you guys have pay attention, but when I speak, sometimes you'll notice in different podcasts or something, I like, I, from the first year sober on, I start changing everything. I start saying, yeah, I did a lot. Oh, I did a handful. Cause before I'd be like, yeah, I did like 60 of it. You know what I mean? I would catch myself <laughs> mm. always. I'm like, why am I exaggerating this stuff? Like in middle right. school, I was like, yeah, I slept with 30 chicks. Then I look back, I'm like, a seventh grader saying that? Everyone knew I was lying, but in my head, I'm like, yeah, they all they all believe me. And so I would say for me now, the biggest thing is like, like my worst fear is good intentions and they hurt people. Mm. Okay. That shit wrecks me, right? Because it's, to me, it's traumatizing because it's like I'm a kid and everything I did was wrong for my dad who's really abusive. So for me, I'm, I try to be very aware like how I am in recovery with people. So I don't have to look behind my back. I don't have to do anything wrong. Right, yeah, I'm right. an overthinker. Yeah. So oh, I'm going to yeah. overthink before I do anything for like weeks. Mm-hmm. And so uh, and so for me, I try to always just stay as like to the point where I don't have to make amends. But I'm like, but I, ca- I could catch it. Like the biggest thing for me that helps me a lot is um, I never blame people now. Okay. And that's new because before sure. I was blamed for everything. You made me feel this way when well, mm-hmm. you did this and that. And now... It's like, oh, fuck, that, that's my fault. Why? I allowed you to make me feel this way. I allowed you to bother me. I allowed you to make me do this. It wasn't you. I chose to say this. I chose to do that. But I'll catch it quick because if I don't, I spiral and I spiral and I spiral. That mm-hmm. guilty conscience, I know I'm wrong and stuff like that. And I know if I carry that with me, I'm going to relapse. Yeah. You know, so I have to get honest quick and quick and quick. If not, I'm just going to go back out. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I totally, totally get that. I, 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 uh, I, yeah. One thing that I wanted to go back to. <laughs> yeah. Space yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. What yeah. are talking about? One, it, one thing you wanted no, to go no, back no, no. to as well. Um, no, like one of the things that I wanted to go back to is when, when we're talking about, you know, being dishonest because of, uh, not really knowing how we're feeling. Right. Um, I think that it's important that like obviously in early recovery, like we're, we just, we, we are so raw and real that we don't know how we're feeling a lot of times. But I think one thing that I wanted to just say, um, is that even at seven years sober, there's still a lot of moments where I, I just don't know what I'm feeling and I don't know how to feel this way you know like I still I still get uncomfortable and I still like oh like what is this like uh, and I still am like seeking something you know to like take my mind off of it or to like get away from it or get out of it you know like um and I think that that's where a lot of that dishonesty comes from now is like just not really like like not really knowing like what is this like and, and how do I, how do I deal with it properly? So I, I really appreciate you talking about having a group of people that you can talk to because 
obviously in, you know, in a program, we have our sponsors, we have other people that have been there. They really know how that feels, but, um, or that can guide us through it. Right. Because I think that oftentimes like that's the important thing is just for me to know, like I'm not alone. It's normal. People feel like this all the time. And that, uh, you know, like just, just come out with it and be done with it and move past it because otherwise it just, it's not yeah. sitting, doesn't sit well with me. Do you guys ever have a, like a hard time with like being able to be okay with having a good life? Yeah. Like when things are just good, but you feel like, again, like you don't know how you're feeling, right? I just like, I feel like something's not right. Yeah. And maybe almost finding yourself self-sabotage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause mm-hmm. I know like for me, I would say probably now in my five years, I can externally say, if I was to look at my life outside, like everything is great. If I look at internally, I can say, well, yeah, I got my church. I got my sponsees. Everything is good. I got peace of mind. I go to sleep. I wake up. I'm healthy. I'm working out. Um, everything's great. But I could find myself in my head, look for one thing. Right. I'm like, something is up. And I'll try to be like, I got it. I'm not ma-. like, right. For example, something that goes through my head. I got it. It's, they can't rely on me for money long term. I'm not trustworthy. I'm going to fuck it up. Maybe I should be single. I got to blow that up, mm. right? Because she, I, 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 she can't trust me with, with being responsible in the future. What kind of husband, if I get sure. married with her, is she going to want to be with, right? That's what it is. Yeah, I got to blow everything up. Business, pff, I got to leave. Right? I, I can't carry this on. Oh, I can't do this and that. I'll find myself trying to find a way to blow it up because it feels comfortable. Right. right. And this is comfortable, the chaos, but everything good. It's like, it's like scary. Cause it's so unknown. Yeah. Like that, I, for me, like that's what it is. Is like, it's so like, I, it's so new. It's so foreign. And it's like the possibilities of it going great are also there, but the possibilities of it failing and crashing and burning are also there. And it's like, how's that going to make me feel uh-uh. like I'm just going to get out. I'm just going to get away. You know, like I, I totally get that, man. Um, I yeah. think a lot of times it can prevent me from, um, from trying to put any effort into growing as well. Like I get so stagnant because it's like, I don't, I don't want to feel the discomfort of failure. Right. So it's like, I'm comfortable. I'm coasting. This is good. This is good. This is good. And I think a lot of times that maybe my restless, irritable and discontented, uh, nature may come from the fact that I am just sort of coasting. Right. I am just staying stagnant because it feels uncomfortable to go up and it feels uncomfortable <sighs> to go down, even yeah. though mm-hmm. really, if I'm being honest, like this also feels pretty uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. I heard this thing. It was like a, <clears throat> a, a healthy life for us could seem like a boring life and a healthy relationship could seem like a boring relationship. Mm. Right. So it's almost like, um, we'll walk away from relationships because it's healthy, but in our minds like, Oh, this is boring. It's not for me. Or your lifestyle is so good. You're like, this is kind of boring. Yeah. I need to do something. I need mm-hmm. to create something. I need yeah. to figure something out. I need to learn. Or like me, I'll create a problem for me to solve. Like I'll be like, you know what? I think I might be bipolar this week. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. That's what it is. That's why I felt uncomfortable. I have to solve this. Yeah. <laughs> create a problem to solve. Uh, it, it, it's really familiar to be at the bottom. You know, it really is. Right. It's really familiar to be at the bottom. And so... Um, one of the things that I think I've watched and noticed in sobriety, you know, talking about relapses, you know, Trevor and, and his, his honesty about his many relapses, 
what I watched with a few people and I noticed with myself is, you know, I would, when, when I would relapse, I would come in and I'd be honest about it. And, um, it, it became really easy. The more I relapsed, the easier it got to say that I relapsed. And so like when, when it comes to destroying these things that I've built, uh, the more I destroy the things that I've built, the easier it is to destroy the things that I built. And so we get around people like your, you, you guys, you know, the people that we surround ourselves with. And the reason that you have five years, the reason you have seven, the reason that I have 11 is that despite those feelings, despite the mm-hmm. way that we feel um, up, down or indifferent, uh, what ends up coming back around is our program ends up picking up and for me one of the things that that i always end up remembering is that i'm here to stay sober like i when i when i got sober the reason that i got sober is because i wanted to get sober it wasn't because i wanted to be on a podcast it wasn't because i wanted to have a house or a healthy relationship um i wanted to stop hurting and at the end of the day when when my day has been complete shit if it's been a bad day and I fucking shot myself in the foot and the the majority of my life was taken over by the disease, at the end of the day, I had my sobriety. And uh, that fucking is, is the biggest deal because as long as I have that, I can continue to work on these other things and I can remember that not every moment and not every day feels like a fucking disaster. Right. Mm-hmm there's those moments of relief and I'm, I'm fucking super grateful for that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You guys are both doing fucking probably better than you think you are. Yeah. I always say that. You know, I'm probably doing better than I think I am. And, uh, usually that's the case, but it's like Fausto said, you know, sometimes doing good can feel like, wait, what's like something's wrong. Yeah, you know, like, mm-hmm. like things are too good right now. Like, yeah. huh? like what, what's going on? Hence, so, hence, cookie. Yeah, right. Give me that cooker. I deserve it. Yeah. And so, talk about. Let's talk about somebody that's doing fucking good. You know. Yeah. Probably far better than any of us three at forty-one days. <laughs> What'd you think? You guys both listened to a story. What'd you think? It was great. I, I think it's totally the reason why we talked about this is because, as the audience will hear, he just brutally honest you know yeah. and, and i think that um yeah it it, it was inspiring yeah it truly was telling so yeah i like how he um i like how he's like brutally honest too just was saying like he started lying literally like already when he was younger yeah about football and all these things and is lying and lying and lying about the littlest things and stuff like that because that's relatable yeah <laughs> you know lying and stuff like that and uh him being honest with all the relapses you know just putting it out there not trying to play a facade you know, I like how he was able to say anytime I thought I was going to realize, or anytime I thought the thought I'm going to quit and went back, he's like, I count that. And I go to me, that's really honest. Cause then sometimes I can think to myself, Oh, I relapse way more than I think. Cause I mm-hmm. told myself that so many times. So, uh, yeah, without further, let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do this. This week's war story is brought to you by brainwash coffee. Brainwashed Coffee is a damn good coffee with a damn good cause. 50% of all proceeds go back into the recovery community, which makes it a perfect partner for us here at the Other Side of Hell podcast. With delicious blends like Coffee Commitment, Found a New Freedom, 
We drink a hell of a lot of it here, and it gives us the energy we need to deliver a quality show. Right now, you can get $5 off your coffee purchase at brainwashedcoffeeco.com using promo code OTHERSIDE. Clean your bean. Brainwashed coffee. Now, without further ado, here is this week's war story. My name is Trevor. Um, I'm an addict and an alcoholic. Um, when I was growing up, I did not play tackle football, um, you know, uh, but I told everyone I did. Um, I was in elementary school and I had this whole elaborate story I came up with convincing all my friends who didn't play that I played tackle football for two or three years in Pop Warner. And uh, I never, ever came clean about admitting that I didn't play football. It never was an issue down the road. Um, I stuck to that story. Um, so I learned how to lie at an early age and how to keep the lie going. And, uh, you know, that was the start of it. Um, I'm a master manipulator. I learned when I went to, uh, it was a combined high school and middle school. And um, I used to hang out in the library. Once my friends left after middle school to actually go play football, um, I was scared. Um, I didn't want to go to a regular high school. I heard about all the fights and everything. And um, I was just scared. Of, I was scared of getting in fights. I wasn't a, a big, I was a little skinny kid. And uh, you know, I had a skinny ass dad, alcoholic dad, um, a mom who was, you know, unloving, non-caring, just, I, I pretty much grew up in a house of purgatory. And so um, I didn't have any self-confidence. I always wanted to be like everyone else. When all my friends left to go to regular high schools, um, I, stayed, I stayed at the academic school and uh, ended up hanging out in the library with like three or four different guys for the first half of ninth grade because we, that, we were the only friends we had. Um, realized really quick, uh, lo and behold, uh, got a report card one day and uh, got straight A's and Everybody found out. And man, I was the most popular kid in school. And, you know, and in this high school, I grew up in Cerritos. Um, the white, white, white male was the minority. It's just the way it was. Most of my friends were Asian, Filipino, um, and uh, Chinese, Korean, Japanese, Indian. And, you know, their parents put a lot of pressure on them to do well in school. And, um, you know, my parents to put pressure on me to do anything. And, my friends' parents put pressure on them. My Caucasian friends' parents put pressure on them to play sports and, you know, just pretty much just hang out, just, you know, do whatever they want. But these kids were under so much stress and so much pressure. When they found out I got straight A's, I became, you know, I made a lot of friends. And, uh, you know, I had the moms of their daughters found out and I would get invited over to to uh, help them, tutor them in math and science. And I get free dinners all the time. So I was pretty much you know, home four or five days a week and out eating free dinners two days a week. And that's how, you know, I got to know people and, uh, you know, we made friends and left the library and started hanging out some clicks. And I was still uncomfortable though. I, I always wanted to be them. I wanted to be my friends. I was, I looked up to them, you know, um, they were popular. They were break dancers. They had all kinds of girls hanging around them, just friends, but I, I wanted that. And, uh, you know, I figured if, uh, kept getting the good grades and, whatever it took uh i'd have those friends and you know we, it was a small high school we all became pretty close and uh 11th grade summer between summer and 11th and 12th grade my alcoholic dad decided to take me and my best friend chad camping well my friend chad brought a little bit of weed so you know my first experience with that and my dad would pass out at eight o'clock every night from drinking all day just you know he'd be up at six but pass out or five or six but pass out to sleep just from drinking beer all day. So, but couldn't, couldn't drink my dad's beer. He'd be pissed. He'd know. He knew how many beers he had left. 
So we got the bright idea, we'd raid ice chests around the campgrounds. And so we went ice chest raiding and uh, pretty much smoked weed and met some girls and just partied every single night after eight o'clock in the motorhome because my dad wasn't moving. So um, senior year, um, my friend and I were already drinking. Another friend of mine found out that he was drinking when he was at work, working um, at Disneyland, uh, he, would, he would bring drinks in. And so the three of us teamed up and we just started partying throughout our senior year. And other people found out they were doing some partying and everyone just started hanging out and, you know, drinking on the weekends here and there. Was, no one ever got in trouble. No one was drinking and driving. We'd always spend the night at someone's house or in our cars. And that's when all the partying started. Um, and uh, that was a little bit of weed here and there, but mostly drinking. Um, went to UC Santa Barbara College, same thing, weed, weed and drinks. Never saw any hard, hard drugs until I was about 23 years old. Um, I moved to Belmont Shore in Long Beach. And uh, um, when I was 19, I moved out and uh, got my own apartment and uh, lied about my age and got a job as a bouncer and a bartender at a, at a local bar on 2nd Street. So, you know, meeting all kinds of people. I was the bouncer. I was the bartender. You know, I mean, there we go again, you know, Mr. Popular, right? Because all these people like me, they love me. I've got all these friends now, you know, and I had all these friends because I was always at the bar giving out free beers and, you know, saying hi to people as they're coming in. They're just bar, bar acquaintances, but I thought they were my friends, you know, and uh, I did have some friends that I worked with that lived down there. They were actually friends, but uh, I was on that street for six years straight. Um, 23 years old, um, I did my first line of cocaine in the back um, storeroom of a bar down on 2nd Street. And uh, didn't really do a whole lot to me. I did a few more bumps, lines here and there over the next few weeks. And all of a sudden, I found out, you know, no, I, knew, I didn't know anyone was doing cocaine. I didn't know people were using hard drugs until I started using some hard drugs with someone. Then I realized everyone I knew practically was on coke. Now, they kept it from me because I wasn't part of the clique yet. But once I got part of the clique, boy... Just, it was amazing how many people were partying. And we used to party from Monday, sometimes till Saturday night, and just pass out on the couch Sunday just, just to recover. Couldn't move, couldn't eat, just, just like a zombie and go to work the next Monday like nothing happened. And uh, I was able to do that for on 2nd Street for five or six, seven years straight. Never missed a day of work. Um, we would get half days on Friday, so we would always all fight whose half day it was because so half of us would stay and half of us would take the day off. And uh, man, just party your ass off on Thursday knowing you only had to work till noon. You were up till two, three in the morning, sometimes five. Um, sometimes we would actually walk out the bar at 6.30 in the morning and the sun would be up, go home, take a shower, sleep for a half hour, go to work. Nobody knew, you know, because we always got our work done. You know? we, were the, we were the workhorses of the office. So. Me and a few of my friends who weren't doing cocaine, by the way. I was the only one on hard drugs. They would just drink once in a while. Um, my work friends did not do hard drugs whatsoever. Um, and I hid the hard drugs for years. Um, got married when I was 26. Put the drugs down um, for a considerable amount of time. Um, and I might have used once here and there if I ran into someone or went down to Second Street. I don't recall. Um, but I started, uh, so I got off the street, which was good. I think a lot of us did. Um, the bar, our bar, our drug bar closed the bar. We used to all hang out and, and um, do drugs that was sold. So everyone kind of went their own separate ways. And uh, that was a good thing because that was going to lead us, I mean, no good real soon. Someone was going to get sick. Someone was going to overdose. Someone was going to go to jail or we all were. 
And um, so I, I think the bar closed just at the right time. And uh, I got married. Um, I drank here and there, but and I stayed I stayed off the hard drugs for quite a long time. And then uh, and I think in my 30s, uh, I started working at a bar in my neighborhood and met someone that had coke and, uh, you know, became a closet coke addict. You know, I was able to go work from three, four in the morning, get to work early, get all my work done. Um, get off at 12, one, two, go hit my friend's garage, have some drinks and, um, you know, go home and do some Coke and, uh, go to bed at eight o'clock because I had too much to drink, wake up the next day and I was fine. And, uh, you know, I wasn't doing it every day. I was able to quote, if there's any such thing, manage the addiction for a while. Um, it did, it just, it didn't really manifest itself to self to the levels that it did for years. But, uh, soon enough, um, the, the drugs were starting to affect me and I, I felt really bad about doing them. And I called one of my closest friends and said, look, man, I got a cocaine habit and I need some help. He came over and I broke it to my wife. Obviously she was upset, um, but supportive. I started, I started going to, uh, meetings. I met my first sponsor there, Derek. And, um, I think I was able to, my, you know, just on self-will and not really working a program, uh, going to meetings here and there. I think I got like eight and a half, nine months, my first, my first try. And then I relapsed and then um, I got another seven, eight months or five or six months. And then I relapsed. Then my sponsor wanted me to tell my, the first relapse I had to tell my wife, the sponsor direction, you know, that's, you know, we're, we're not going to tell, we're just going to keep going. They wanted me to tell my wife and it pissed me off, you know? Um, and I eventually did tell her and, you know, my poor ex-wife, she lived through the relapses for the rest of the marriage, basically. Um, you know, I was able to get blocks of time when I was clean and sober. Um, I don't know, I know, I've never had a year um, since that time. I've never had a year. I've lied about having a year once or twice, but I've never had a year clean. Um, and then, of course, the amount of time keeps diminishing, right? I'd get eight or nine or 10 months, got 11 once. Then all of a sudden, you're getting four or five or six months. Then you're getting one, two or three months, you know, and then, it just it just gets worse and worse and uh so i remember it was chris it was the holiday season and um i used it again and my wife found out and she was a real private person you know she didn't want anyone to know and i was so concerned i was more concerned about her telling everyone and everyone finding out that i was cleaning my act up and, and participating in recovery you know i i didn't go to a lot of meetings i didn't i didn't do the work i needed to do i just i didn't have a higher power i didn't dig into the program and um, for a lot of different reasons, but just the way I acted because of my addiction over the years, um, you know, I was distant. Um, I mean, I, she was the best wife ever, but I mean, just, I mean, she was, I mean, she did everything for us. The best mom for my son who's autistic. I can never ask for her. She forgave me over and over and over. I mean, she came back from Boston one time and I told her I used, and I think, I think she said, go fuck yourself. That's the first and last time she's ever even said anything like that to me. And I deserve so much worse. I mean, we just never argued. She's not a, you know, I mean, we've argued over other stuff, but the drugs she's been, you know, it hurts, but she's never been super, super mean about it, at least not for any type of a long period of time. I mean, she just put up with a lot, you know, and, um, even as my ex-wife, and I'll get to that, she's put up with even more. Um, we got divorced eventually. We moved on. Um, we were still 
you know, when we weren't arguing over other issues, um, we, we still uh, were cordial. We talked, we support each other. And she's always been supportive of me. Well, the thing that started, I mean, I think my addiction was at maybe a one and a half at that point. Um, you know, I was, I never missed a day of work. I think we, I mean, I plan my using around vacations and around sick days. Like, Hey, I tell my staff, cause I was a manager. Hey, I'm not going to be there tomorrow. I'm going to take the day off. I've been working my ass off. And I'd come in for two or three hours anyways, just to make it look good. And then I'd go out and party all day. You know, um, I was, a, I was able to manipulate the, the people that cared about me, my job, my workers. I mean, no one had any, I mean, everyone drank. They knew we drank and we got drunk once in a while, but never to like to where everyone would be anyone would be concerned or had a reason to to worry you know and um then COVID hit so i was able to work from home during we had to work from home i mean i hate working from home even though we could i always like going to the office i like seeing my friends there i like interacting with the people there um i like bouncing around the office and just you know running the coffee machine getting coffee going to 7-eleven seeing everybody there i just had it down like i had the system down i you know, my friends ran one team of staff. I ran two. I also had a side business I ran from there. I just, I was just able to be in a groove when I was there from the time I got there to the time I left. And I was able to just figure it out, you know. And um, But when COVID hit and I was home all day, it was just an excuse to get high. And that's when I started using meth and uh, because I could get coke all the time, you know. So I started using meth and that just really fucked me up bad. Um I did show up to a Zoom meeting with my co-managers and our our boss at that time, who became our boss, um, after getting high the day before. And um, I don't recover from a meth high in one day. You know, um, I still appear like I'm on it. I'm still agitated. I'm still fidgety. And um, you know, uh, it just got worse from there. And I couldn't get two, three months clean. Um, Again, I don't remember. I've, I've, I've had 26 relapses since uh, I started this program 14 and a half years ago, 14, 14 and a half years ago. And I care, this is how I count a relapse. If I say I'm done and I'm not using it anymore, and I get a day or two and I go use it again, that's a relapse, you know, to me. It's, you said you were done. You told your, you know, you're going to a meeting again, you're back and you go back out. Even if it's two days later, I count that because, you know, I, I said I was done, right? So it's on me. And so it's, you know, I've had 26 relapses that I've counted since I've started this program. How I've been able to keep track of that, I have no fucking idea, but that's the number in my head. I'll stick to it. I'm not proud of it, but um, that's, it is what it is. And um, so fast forward to July, July, 2021, I couldn't get two days. I didn't care. My friends were pissed. Um, you know, I don't want to say that they were just upset, they're worried, they're concerned, they're angry, they're all the emotions you can ever imagine. Different friends had different emotions. I have some really I've known my friends for 32 years. You know, we all work together, we're like family. We grew up going to kids' parties, you know, having fun, birthday parties, Christmases, you know, um, we hang out with different friends for Thanksgiving. I knew these people for, for years, and um, you know, uh, I, I just couldn't get clean, and um, and so. I decided, I called I called a rehab place like two, middle of July. And I said, you know, can, can I reserve a bed for like 11 days from now? Because I wanted 11 days to try to get my shit in order that I, you know, wasn't in order because, you know, pretty much I'm not using and I want to make sure my bills are paid and everything was so perfect. 
like I was going to be able to do that anyways while using, right? But that's where my mind went. Well, you know, just give me, I'll be there in 11 days. Save that fucking bed for me. I'll see you guys in 11 days. And I called my sponsor. He said, well, they have a bed available. I'm like, yeah, but I couldn't take it because I'm not ready. He's like, are you fucking kidding me? He's like, that bed's a gift. And I'm thinking, what are you talking about? It's a business. Like, it's a business. I'll, I'll go there. I'll, I'll go there anytime I want. I mean, they're going to make money off of me, right? You know, of course, I'm, you know, this is, I'm, I'm doing them a favor by going, right? Because, you know, they probably, they can use all the business they can get. And they're going to get a real, you know, attitude. It has a lot of trouble here and a lot of problems. So, you know, um, I'm doing them a favor. And uh, don't worry, Sean, I'll stop using it. I'll be good. No, no. That, of course, that didn't happen. And uh, So uh, on the 26th of July, the day before my birthday, I was calling all day. And I, I you know, I had it used. And uh, I couldn't get them to answer the phone because, you know, they're busy. I know that because I actually ended up going there. So the next, so I figured, you know what? I want my clean date to be my birthday. How fucking cool would that be? So, you know, let me get your high again today. You know, fuck it. Because I'm going to probably get the call tomorrow. So, you know, let's score again. Let's get high. Because how fucking cool would it be to have my birthday on my clean day? Two birthdays on one day. That's what my thinking was. You know, and uh, so I went to I went to rehab. And, uh, you know, it was, I lost my girlfriend the month before we broke up. And it's not just the drugs and the drugs, you know. Um, it's the way I act because if I'm always tired because I'm, you know, sleeping on the couch because I want to do shit because I did drugs. Um, it's just the, it's just the arrogance, the selfishness, the, it's all about me and, um, just the way I act when I'm on drugs. It's not, I'm not proud of it. Um, I act a muck and I do things I'm not proud of. And, uh, my girlfriend put up with a lot and she stuck by me and two things that upset her the most, I never told her that I was an addict when we first met and that I'd been to another rehab before, but I don't count Betty Ford 16 days. I mean, that was a fucking vacation. You know, we could use the phones, the computers, watch TV, fucking watching basketball, I mean, watched a few videos and heard a couple people speak. But I mean, that, I, you know, I just came home after 16 days. I thought I'd had it. So, but I went to a real, I went to a real recovery place this time and suggested by people in my home group, Impact of Pasadena. Man, what a the real fucking deal, man. Um, I walked into this place when I got there after I got checked in. They called the pit where all the guys hang out in. And I think, uh, you know, I, I didn't know what to expect. Every, I mean, you know, I'm around a bunch of drug addicts and I'm thinking, you know, are there going to be fights? Or just going to be, have to defend myself? Are going to let them watch my back? I mean, I know I, didn't, I just didn't know. I mean, I ended up meeting the, some of the greatest people I've ever met in my life, you know, I'm, they're super cool. They want to change their lives. You know, people would approach you and introduce themselves. And I mean, it was just amazing. And uh, the first two weeks there, man, I was just super fucking depressed. And I just, nothing would just get me out of it. You know, I was so depressed. I, I was looking at this building and I heard someone had jumped off of it. And I'm just like, fuck, I'm, I'm not saying I wasn't going to do it. I wasn't thinking about killing myself because that, I was so depressed. That wasn't even a solution. You know, I was getting depressed about being depressed about my son and what they were going to think if I did that. And that was never an option. It was just, I just couldn't get out of my funk, you know, and finally I did. And they helped me with that. The people there that worked there, the staff, the, 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 the patients, um, I stayed there for two months. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. And, uh, 
you know, it's a, it's a 90 day program. I left after two months, my sponsors, I was a cash patient. So I didn't want to pay, you know, the extra, well, just the extra eight grand, you know, to, to work because you work there too. Um, and my sponsor thought, you know, you just need to start going to meetings and do what you're doing. And so I left and, uh, you know, I won't pay eight grand for another, another, uh, you know, month at rehab, you know, and I look back and think, what, a, you know, the money I will pay for though, to, to, for the drugs and the hotels and, you know, having people stay with me because I don't want to be alone. And, you know, they could watch me run amok and make me do weird shit or watch me do weird shit. And just the things I participate in when I'm, when I'm on drugs is just, it's not, they're not, they're not gentlemanly. And I just, I'm embarrassed by them. I'm embarrassed about my behavior. Um, my closest friends know I've, I've told them exactly what you know happens and you know um it's, i'm just not proud of it and uh you know i'll spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on that stuff but you know when it comes to spending eight grand on rehab it's just like you know it's like my friend he'll when he used to bet sports he'll make he'll bet three thousand dollars on a college football game but he won't pay him made 85 dollars from clear fucking house you know it's just the same example you know it's like I, just the money that you spend on your addiction and the things that aren't good for you. It's amazing how you can find that money and you can't find a few dollars for something that's really going to help you out. You know. So when I left, I, I had four and a half months clean and uh, I was, it was, I was super happy. And uh, I relapsed in December and then I relapsed again um, in, in January. And that, that run lasted through February 17th. Um, I was clean and sober until July 4th of this year. And in and out drugs, got a seven days clean, six days clean, eight days clean. And then uh, 41 days clean and sober today. So 45 days ago, started the worst four days of my life. Um, I got high at my house. I didn't want to be here because I didn't want people to find me high. I didn't want to answer to anyone. I went to a hotel room. I People bring me drugs, and, you know, hang out with me. And again, running amok and participating in ungodly, unfriendly, ungentlemanly activities to myself and just just you know being a i'll just say it being a cunt an asshole a dick a loser and a fucking self-centered fucking egotistical entitled prick because that's what i was called by some people that found out what i was doing and uh, they're right uh, there's just no other way to cut them they're absolutely right you know that it's funny and um i know my time's almost up the entitled part fucking it's like, fuck you, entitled. I worked my ass off for all the money I have for 32 fucking years. How am I entitled? That's my money. My parents didn't give me anything. My parents didn't buy my house or my car. This is my money. And then I thought about it like, because it was bugging the shit out of me. And yeah, I was entitled because I thought because I had some money in my pocket, no matter where it came from, I could participate in these things. And it's okay because, you know, it, it's, it's my money. And that's not true. You know, you know, I thought about that. I was, yeah, I was entitled, you know, and I, I, I beat myself up for what happened 40, 45 days ago for those four days. Um, I'm trying to move forward and forgive myself, but I mean, if I have to be honest, I still, there's a part that still hates myself for what I did, the way I was acting. It's embarrassing. It sucks. Um, it's not who I want to be. It's not who I am when I'm sober and clean, but I know how I'm going to act when I get high. So I can't just hide behind the addiction. Although they're using, it's all part of the, the addiction, addiction, addiction and the behavior that manifests itself, even when I'm not using, if I'm not in recovery. You know, I could still, an armed robber that commits 
robberies under the influence of drugs if they still commit robberies it's not it's not the drugs you know and i don't and again i know what i'm going to do before i do it when i get high and i still choose to do it and you know i'm not going to make any promises because those don't work you know um i just got to stay clean and sober today the best i can i mean it's not easy it sucks i mean sometimes i sit there and fucking cry just out of nowhere but I can't play the victim either and feel sorry for myself because if I beat myself up and try to wipe this slate clean, then, um, you know, that's an excuse to go out and using it. You know, and uh, so I know better than that. I have to move forward, um, you know, practice some um, discipline and uh, humility of gratefulness um, and stop being so fucking egotistical and swallow that pride and uh, listen to people and take direction. And, uh, you know, um, I'm cleaning sober today. And I can't promise tomorrow because tomorrow's not here yet. But um, hopefully I've done enough today. I'll do enough tomorrow to make sure I get another day. And um, that's that's the, that's the my story, the best I can tell it at this time after it was just 41 days. Wow, thank, thank you, Trevor. Thank you so much for that. What yeah, you that was think? amazing. Yeah, it was yeah. great, dude. Like I... I mean, like I said, like, I think for a dude like that to, to come out and, and talk about, you know, the many, many relapses and, and share in such an honest way, like it's, it's really inspiring. It's actually kind of what I needed to hear. Like, it's a, gr- a great reminder a lot. Of, yeah. of how important it is to be, to be honest. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I liked how he shared how, um, how much he lied when he was younger, just to, like fit in or to be liked. Yeah. Um, especially you know, cause he was a bartender too and all that, the cocaine, I was a bartender too and all that. So I remember mm-hmm. giving drinks out and all that, but I, I like that he shared that too, because it made me feel like, Oh man, I could relate. Yeah. I thought, okay. I thought I was the only person possibly that lied that much in school. But when he said that, I was like, dude, I get that. Cause I lied all the time about everything mm-hmm. just to be liked. Yeah. I remember, uh, you know, and, and him talking about a time of management, you know, there's like it, this time where it was manageable, where you know you could kind of fucking have your cake and eat it too. Mm-hmm. Like, like there was moments like that for me where I thought, oh no, mm-hmm. I'm good. I'm gonna be able to live this double life, yeah. this fucking this this life of, of, of a, a respectable person in society, and also this fucking back alley. Because that's when he was saying he was still like at the bar. He, he would do blow, but he was still be able to go to work, do his yeah. shift, and everything was oh, good. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I can relate to that too. Because I was a bartender, and uh, and same thing. You know, do coke for like three days, go to work, not sleep, show up, be at the bar till six in the morning, walk out, come back, and everything's like good. So, yeah. So, so I thought. So you thought, right? Yeah. Right. And then comes the inevitable, the inevitable, right? Like like all of a sudden, it's it's not anymore. Yeah. That's so funny too. Is like. When we, when we're able to get sober, like we're able to sort of see like, oh, I really was a shitty employee. Like, yeah, I showed up. Like I showed up. Like I was there. Like, but I, I was really, really crappy at my job. Yeah. Did you guys like ever like the, like every year sober, did you ever get like those moments of clarity where like you, you're more humbled? You're like, damn dude, I was fucked up. Oh yeah. Like I just remember like that was fucked up. And a year later, you're like. Holy shit! I I totally forgot. That's fucked up too. What I did. Yeah. It's like you see it more clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Or you see uh, just like the extent of how fucked up it actually was. Like the further away I get from some of those behaviors, like 
it's like, yeah, it was fucked up, but, but then like year two, it's like, no, it was really fucked yeah. up. And then year three, it was like, I can't believe I well, did that's that. one of the things that I liked about his story was, you know, he's able to admit like, man, these things that I was doing, I'm just not proud of. They're just, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing right. for me to talk mm-hmm. about with my kid. You know, I've been able to be honest with, you know, he said that I've been able to be honest with certain people and they know the whole story, but it doesn't make me feel good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, doing that and doing what he's doing, it, it's a, it's a lot of inspiration for me to, to remember that I was there and now I'm here mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he too is there and he can be as far down like that, that could have been his last relapse. And that's my hope. You know, I really, I really liked his definition of a relapse, you know, saying I'm done. Right. And if I use again, after I say I'm done, that's a relapse. Because I think that, you know, like to an outside perspective, like there's so many times where people hear like an addict say that and they're like, yeah, I've heard a thousand times. And it's like, I fucking mean it. Like every time I said it, like I absolutely meant it. Like I thought it was going to happen. I, I was so resolute. Certain. Like this is the time. No, I no, but this time I really mean it, you know? And then two days later, you know, three days later, however long later it's back to the bar. And I truly believe like we do mean it in those, in those moments, yeah. right? It might be That's that what moment. I mean. like, like in this hour when I'm saying it, I truly and don't want to use. I yeah. Mean, I mean it. But then you just know how it is. The cycles yep. is so yeah. crazy. Start believing that shit. Yeah. Again. So you know, uh, Trevor, thank you so much for for being so vulnerable and being willing to 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 share your story. We got um, Trevor's story from Jackson at Stay Stop. You know, he hooked us yeah. up with him. We're always appreciative of him, and he's got a lot going on. And and so thank you for that. And and yes, you know, you. who else has a lot going on is Fausto. You know, and we said we we're gonna drop some stuff on you guys towards the end of the show everything he's got going on so what do you got going on <laughs> oh man let's stuff. have it what kind of stuff the good stuff the <laughs> bad stuff yeah, we want to hear it all but why don't you tell the people at home like what what sort of exciting stuff what's, is happening what's around the corner for the hope dealer yeah um so the i mean the biggest thing that i got coming out you know for anybody that's watching too is uh i'm going to start a uh, a subscription um, thing where for $4 and 99 cents, um, anybody can basically come on to my Instagram and subscribe. So five bucks a month, which is cheap. They think about $60 a year and, um, all the group therapy that I offer people, um, from a professional standpoint, um, is going to be on there and, you know, and people will pay anywhere from $150 an hour to a thousand dollars to come out and speak, but not everybody has the money for that. Not everyone has the resources for that. So it's going to be for $5 a month and you'll get group therapy on topics for forgiveness, acceptance, manifestation, spirituality, breaking codependency, grief and loss. And uh, you'll have the ability to also send me topics that they you want and then have a community. And once a month, if you live locally in L.A. County, Orange County, we can all come and fellowship and have like a whole therapeutic, um, you know, um, connection. Yeah. Because I like to make a therapy uh fun you know yeah. like real fun because you know people have this weird taboo thing it's like a person dressed like in a suit and like legs crossed and like t- so how does that make you feel right it's very uncomfortable i want to make it cool yeah you know what i mean it's like cool and fun and hip and, and so that's what i'm gonna c- provide for people cool and hopefully you can add some value that's awesome man yeah. how amazing, uh, man. how can how can people find you, you mentioned your instagram yeah uh so my instagram is hope dealer fausto 
my uh, website, soberfausto.com, same with YouTube, and those are the best ways uh, to reach me. And I'm always posting motivational stuff, life coaching stuff, you know, vulnerable stuff. And uh, we're always having uh, events coming up and stuff that are always free with like DJs, speakers, free food, fellowship, and, you know, just helping people find purpose in their pain. Yeah. That's what's up. Yeah. I like that. That man. is what's up. Finding Don't forget, with it your all pain. happened for a reason, man. Yeah. What, did, what did you say? Your, your story is your... Your story is your uh, your superpower. Is that what I say? Something, <laughs> something like that, right? Yeah. yeah. Your story will uh, your story will like free people. Your story, there's there's power in your story, right? Yeah, that's right. I, I feel like our story is the key to our success. The story will open up doors for us. Our stories will connect us, and our stories help people heal. Yeah, you know, because no one could take that from you. Yeah, like like we said earlier in the show, you know, if it wasn't for other people telling their stories honestly, I don't know that I could have. So. Honestly, this has been really fun. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming out and taking your time while you're here in Utah to to come over and, and honor us with your presence, bringing out your girlfriend, letting us meet her and her yeah. sitting patiently through this whole process. Yeah, it's been you. awesome. Man. <laughs> yeah, she's over there. <laughs> but man, you know, I can't thank you enough. It's been good to see you again and, and can't wait to do it again. Yeah, I, I really don't know what to add, man. I just can't thank you enough, and and uh, exciting to see where your journey goes, and and uh, hope that this will not be the last time we see Fausto. Yeah, and I appreciate you guys for having me. You know, come out here, be on here, um, because I remember in COVID when I did the war story. You know, it was um, a very pivotal moment for me. You know, yeah. during COVID to remember, mm-hmm. like I'm right where I need to be simple things like that like answers whether it's you guys reaching out could have been like a prayer answer for me that day and it and yeah. it really was i was like okay things are still happening keep on doing what i'm doing like they reached out that's a sign from my higher power saying keep on you know doing what you're doing people are watching yes amazing and you hear that I, y'all i can't think of a better way to sign off than with that comment so yeah with that thank you for tuning in we'll see you on the other side Remember, you are worth the work, and I got nothing this time. (laughs) That's honesty. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in. The Other Side of Hell is a do-it-yourself podcast. For more information, recovery resources, and contact info, check out our website at theothersideofhellpodcast.com. You can help us spread our message by liking and subscribing, giving us a follow, or a five-star rating.